You're listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you'd like to know more about Hope Central or any of our ministries, please visit hopecentral.org.au. you have a little bit of grace and patience for me. I did come down with a gastro this week, so my preparation got interrupted by a lot of lying in bed and getting up for bed for other reasons. Uh, today, I want to uh, introduce to you our year's theme, which is actually going to be talking about what does it mean to be a healthy church? What does it look like to be a healthy church? And if you're, if you're thinking, well, why does that matter? Like, a healthy church? What about the, what about the world out there? What about my needs? Well, I'm telling you this, that if this church is healthy, your needs are going to get met. That if we get ourselves right in the eyes of God, in the way that he has called us to live and to be, that we will actually walk in such a prosperous way that we will be a light and a blessing for the entire world that we live in. And so I want to talk today about you just don't get it. Do I have to draw you a picture? I've had a couple of times in my life where I've been so embarrassed about the fact that I just don't get something. Uh, Both of those times came when I was learning something that I just didn't understand. When I I remember the very first time that I ever set foot on a building site to learn carpentry skills. I, I wasn't employed as a builder. I was just employed as a guy that ran around getting stuff for the builders. But when I was standing on the first floor of a house and they were building the roof systems for it, and the, the carpenters didn't want to have to come up and down off the roof to get stuff, so they would shout out for me to bring them certain things and then throw them up to them. And so I did okay with simple things like two by four. You know, that board there, I could get that. But then they started calling out the names of roof parts. And I don't know if they were doing to this to me on purpose, but they asked me for a hip. And I was like, sorry, (laughs) go over to that pile of roof parts and bring me a hip. (laughs) Now, what would you have come back with? (laughs) Some bone for some animal that you found beside the pile of, I just went and I started grabbing boards and bringing them and holding up to them like this. And they're like, no, that's a rafter. And I go back and grab another pile of them and bring it back to them. No, and this happened about five times. And eventually I held up the last piece and the guy who was framing the roof, his name was Vince and he's a super guy. He's actually just passed away from cancer, but he he looked down at me and he, he smiled and he looked over at the boss and he said, he's so cute. I like him. Can we keep him? (laughs) And I thought that's a wonderful picture of the fact that sometimes you just don't get it. But it doesn't mean you're excluded. It means that you just don't understand. And sometimes somebody's got to take some time to explain things to you. It's funny that uh, that to me was such an important thing because now I do carpentry all of the time. And and doing those sorts of things to me is a simple task and you would be a a dum-dum not to get it. And I remember it's the same feeling when I learned um, algebra. 
I, I, I still clearly remember a night of argument with my mom as my mom took the time to try to explain algebra to me, and I think about year four. And I was having a serious debate about her about how letters cannot be numbers. X equals, A equals. And I was like, Mom, it can't be. A letter is not a number. Because I kind of thought she must not get it. I'm like, what does your mom know about algebra, right? And she was trying patiently to explain it to me, and I just could not get it. In fact, the whole thing ended in a giant argument, and I never accepted what she said. Later on, I accepted what the teachers had to tell me. Because algebra is numbers being letters. Sometimes you don't get it, and you need to have a picture. Did you know this? That in the teaching of Jesus Christ, the very last things that he taught, he told us, three stories that have three pictures. The scene that he told us in is most likely the upper room or the the Last Supper experience where he taught many things to the disciples, but he gives three end of times, we call them parables. But they're not just pictures of the end of time. They're pictures of the way that his church will be throughout time. They're the kind of people that the kingdom of God is filled with. And those pictures are these. It's a picture of five wise virgins compared to five foolish virgins who are supposed to keep enough oil in their lamps to be ready for when the bridegroom returns. And if you know anything about the story, you know that the five foolish ones didn't bring enough oil. But the five wise made sure they always had oil because meeting the bridegroom was too important. Then he told a story about three. Three people who are given certain deposits of money. One is given five talents, another two, and another one. And those three different men in this story go and produce. Well, the first two go and produce a huge amount of fruit. They, in a sense, double what they have, and then when they return, they bring not only what's given to them, but they bring an equal amount that they've also earned with it and return it to the master, and it's a huge celebration. But one doesn't. One takes his talent and buries it because he has an attitude about the master that doesn't match reality. And then he tells a story about sheep and goats. And this is the judgment parable. It says that at the end of the era, at the end of time, that the Son of Man will come and bring a judgment and he will divide everyone between one of two categories, sheep and goats. And the sheep will receive the praise that they deserve because they did something that the goats did not. And what did they do? Well, the sheep actually cared about people. They visited the sick. They went to the prisons and helped people. They cared for people and the goats didn't. But in all of these things, which is what you're supposed to notice in these parables, nobody's told what to do. Nobody's told pack extra oil. Nobody's told make sure you go out and earn more. And nobody's told make sure you care for the weak and the broken. Nobody's given instructions. It's like the Lord starts something and then he just waits to see what happens. And what happens is the picture is a picture of did you get it? Did you get it? If you got it, this is what you did with it. 
And so we're going to look at those three parables because we want to talk about what it means to be the healthy church, a church that gets it. And that is, we believe that if you get it, if we get it, then we never lose our passion for Jesus, for producing fruit, and for caring for others. If you really got the message, then you never lose your passion for Jesus. In fact, if I could tell you one thing out of this entire list, it's that one is the most important thing of all. That if you stay in love with Christ, if your oil, your desire for him is full, if the fire is hot, then you will do all of the other things. Because it's love for the Lord that is the fuel for everything. Secondly, we also become people who produce fruit, but not fruit because we have to do something. I mean, when you're just forced to, to, you know, produce something for the master, to do something because he demands that you do it, you're unproductive. But if you love to do more, then you produce fruit. And lastly, how do you really feel about other people? Now, let's look a little bit more into the depths of those parables. You see, in the first parable, it says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish and five were wise. But when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now, I've been a Christian now for about 35 years, and I can tell you this, there are oil-draining moments. There are times where love for the Lord is hard. And there's so many bad experiences that you're going through or difficulties or attacks of the evil one that you will feel exhausted. And if you don't have enough oil to keep your lamp lit, it will go dark. But it's passion for the Lord that makes you get extra oil. You just don't want to miss him. I've been trying to serve the Lord for as long as I've known him. And there are times in my life where I have burned my oil for doing things, burned my oil for helping people that has emptied my oil for the Lord. And the Lord again and again has had to come to me and say, Joe, you need to love me. You need to love me. Don't love what you do. Don't even love the people. Love me. And then in that, he's revived me and brought me back because I heard the wisdom of it. Joe, take some time out for me. And then he tells this parable about the, uh, the talents. It'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one, he gave five talents, another two, another one, each according to his ability, and then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and when he'd made five talents more, so also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money." And this, again, is a parable, like I've said, about the productivity or the desire to produce fruit. That when actually more is given, there is a more expectation that you go and do more with it. 
that you don't do less with it, but that you desire to produce more. I have to tell you this. This is a giant challenge when you're already at your limit. So recently I've had several discussions with the Lord because my responsibility level has exceeded my desire to be responsible level. <laughs> that, in case you don't know, that we have now in our Hope Central churches, we have four congregations that we take care of, that we have multiple properties and a fairly substantial budget to manage and employees, and I'm married. (laughs) But we also want to do more than that. I'm also the state chairman for CRC churches and oversee about 36 other churches helping to care for them to make not just just and wise decisions, but to help them grow and to thrive. And the Lord has put on my heart that he wants to do more. (laughs) And have you ever had those moments where you've told the Lord, That's enough. (laughs) And then the Lord said to me, I thought you wanted to be fruitful. You see, it's an attitude issue, isn't it? It's not about capacity, it's about attitude. My attitude ran out far before the Lord's power ran out. The Lord wanted to do more. We can produce more fruit if we want to. Now, the the next story is about the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit in his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from his goats. He'll place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For... I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. They don't know that they did it for Jesus. He said, you did this for me. And they were like, Lord, when were you naked? That would have been embarrassing. When were you hungry? When were you... When were you in prison? We didn't, we didn't do that. And Jesus is saying, no, no. When you did it for these brothers of mine, you were doing it for me. But then he says to the goats, you, no, you didn't do this. Why didn't you do this? And they're like, Lord, if we'd known it was you, we certainly would have done it. And he's like, no, if you're not getting out of bed for these, you're not getting out of bed for me. And it, deep down, it challenges the root issue. How much do you really care about other people? Um, while we were all fasting, everybody's fasting a different thing in the last uh, three weeks. Well, I was fasting food, so all all of Thursday, I'd have no food at all. And um, sometimes I could go through, so no eating at all, and then all night, sleeping in the morning, get up, have some food. I can normally, I can get through that. One night, I just could not. (laughs) I'd fasted the entire day, and it was past midnight, and I woke up at about three in the morning. And I was so hungry, I couldn't sleep. And I was trying to get back to sleep, thinking, no, no, a couple more hours, then I can have food. And I was so hungry, I couldn't sleep. So I thought, technically, the fasting day is over. You're hearing me, right? You know, I'm taking this to court. 
So I got up and I went into the kitchen and I got some food and I was eating the food and a thought occurred to me. How many children in the world right now can't sleep because they're too hungry? So I did the next thing, which I donate to Compassion. And I got on Compassion's website and I donated a few hundred dollars because I thought, it's not enough to think. You have to do. But here's the issue. Why am I not awoken about other things? Why don't I care more frequently about the needs of others? I care very deeply about my own needs, my hunger, my crisis, but I don't often care about the crisis of others because it doesn't touch me. What I'm saying is I need revival. And so we want to talk this year about being a healthy church, having a passion for Jesus, a passion for fruitfulness, and a compassion for others. We don't want to just talk about it, though. We want this to become the real life of Hope Central, that we are a church that is absolutely passionate about Jesus. You won't get us to stop talking about him or loving him or pursuing him. But we also will always want to do more. What more can we do? How more? How much can we help, Lord? Where can we get involved? And also we want to keep that vibrant sense of how is somebody else? How is somebody else? How is somebody else? The people who are part of this church, do you even know what's going on in their lives? How can you help with them? The people that are outside this church, how can we help them? How do we be involved in the pain of others? We want compassion to leak from this church. And so we need to remember this. It starts in the heart. When Jesus said, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, figs from thistles? So a healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. It actually starts on the inside. The heart of this church, the heart of each one of us has got to be touched by the only being who brings life. Jesus is not giving us a philosophy. He's giving a diagnosis. We need life. We need life to flow from him. We need to be touched by him so that our diseased trees can be made healthy we need to be touched in the core of our being. That's why a lot of the, what we're going to be doing this year is actually something that looks like revival, to revive our love for God, to revive our compassion for others, to revive our desire for fruitfulness, that it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit causing us to come alive. It's not us doing it, it's us responding to God doing it. And how much does your heart long for Jesus, for fruitfulness, and for others' welfare? The question is, how do we change? Well, that's where it confronts our vision. Our vision is to create communities of grace. But why grace? What does grace do? If you could say, well, you have a vision for creating communities of grace, well, what's the point of that? What, what, what difference does that make in the world? What, what's the point of focusing on this sort of nice, everybody forgive one another feeling? Is that going to make any difference? I'm telling you that if we are a community of grace, we will fulfill 
the commission. We will fulfill the prophecy. We will fulfill the calling of God in our lives because grace is what brings change. Thanks, Ron. You see, Jesus has, Jesus has what we need. Grace means we don't work for something. We are given it. Grace means that we get a gift from somebody who has more than he needs. You see, Jesus has love for the Father. Look what he says about himself. I do as the Father commands me so that the world may know that I love the Father. If you were to do a survey of the entire world's history of people and said, who loved God? The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Who did it? One person did it, Jesus His heart was overflowing with love for God. If you don't have enough love for God, don't try to make it. You have to receive it. Secondly, Jesus loves fruitfulness. In John chapter 4, verse 34, he says to the disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus' definition of fulfillment, fulfill, was to do what God wanted. That you would feel as though you lived an empty life if you didn't do something for God. He just wants more. And we don't try to become people who by our own bootstraps put energy and enthusiasm in our souls. We are people who rely on God's grace to transform our inner beings so that we love him by our workfulness. Third, Jesus overflows with compassion. It says in Matthew chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, like if all of the people in the world, if you could line them up and say who was busiest, it would be Jesus. Jesus lived a jam-packed life of schedule. He had a job to do. And he was constantly distracted by the needs of others. You could hardly, well, I mean, he managed it because he did love God and he was going to do the Father's will. But the needs of other people were a constant absorption to him. Healing people by their thousands. Feeding people by their thousands. Teaching people. Fighting for people. Advocating for widows. Fighting for women who are being abused and mistreated. Jesus took time to care for others because compassion flowed out of him. We need more of Jesus so that we can have more compassion for others. And so when we say these things, It's from his fullness that we've all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth comes from Jesus. You see, the law is a list of things that you have to do. It puts your attention on you. The expectation is on you. The demand is on you. You need to obey this. You need to give this. You need to do that. But grace puts our affections and our thoughts on Christ because we think, Jesus, you have something to give me that I need. My life isn't enough, but you have fullness, and you can give that fullness to me. You can give me what's missing in me. You can build me, and it's grace upon grace. 
So every time you need more, there's more there. Look at this Hebrews chapter four verse. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you notice that? That Jesus knows that we don't have enough. He knows it. When you show up, he knows you don't get it. And he goes, you're so cute. Can we keep him? He says to the father, can we keep him? Yes, he wants to keep you. But when you show up at his throne of grace, you're there because you need help. And he gives help. And he knows we don't have enough, but he gives what is missing. He says, that throne of grace is forgiving me for my weakness, but it's also giving me power. Forgiveness and power to live a different life. And so the miracle that I'm expecting in 2023 is a supernatural passion for Jesus supernatural are you ready to go bananas for Jesus like seriously bonkers where you're like I can't get enough of him I just I'm upset I'm reading the Bible all the time I'm praying I'm absorbed I'm coming out to worship nights I'm at church early I'm just I want more of him let me tell you this There is no one who will fulfill you like Jesus will. Jesus is the power and the grace of God. He is the life of God. He is the fullness of life. And his joy, his desire, his peace can fill your heart. He will make you complete, but only if you want him. You chase all the other stuff in any other way, you'll end up empty. But Jesus is a constant flow of life. Love him, desire him. But also I'm believing for a supernatural passion for fruitfulness. Oh boy. Wouldn't you love it, Pastor Ash, if people just were constantly asking you, can I do something else? Can I do something else? Can I do something else? Do you need more help at Unique? Is there some way that I can get on the band? Is there some way I could help by cleaning up? Is there some way I can help? Could you imagine... Waking up, not feeling, do I have to, but feeling, what do I get to do today? Wouldn't that be a difference in your heart? We live lives through obligations, but Jesus can supernaturally change us, change us so that we're excited about doing something. And lastly, I just want to have a supernatural passion for one another. I, 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 here's what I'm fully expecting. I'm expecting people in this church to pay other people's bills. Because, not because, oh, Joe said you got to, or God commanded me, but because you heard about someone who had a bill and you went to pay it. Because you just couldn't help yourself. You just wanted to pay it. Or you heard about somebody in this church that was really struggling in some way, not maybe financially or physically maybe, and you're just like, I just go around and help them. I have to help them. They're, I have to go and help them. Because that person needs me. I heard they're sick. I heard they're 
struggling. I need to go there. I, I, I'm expecting the miracle of supernatural compassion for each and of us. That's what I'm believing to see is the fruit of this year. Because it takes that to make a healthy church. I want to I pray a prayer over us as I finish today. Um, I know that this sermon is more of a vision casting service. And I don't ever feel particularly comfortable doing any of that. Shove me back in the Bible teaching role and I'm good. Vision casting, eh. But I'm here to serve. <laughs> but there is, this, there is this verse that Paul prays in the book of Colossians for the people of Colossae. These are the Christians that are there. and He's, he's, he's planted the church. He's left them. He's, he's sending them help in the form of other leaders. But he writes to them and tells them a prayer that he's making for them. Because he knows that only God can make the change in people. And so he prays this prayer. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. When we read a prayer like that, it's very easy for us to feel like it's just some, some thing that was thrown up to God. A prayer of who knows what will happen. I'll ask God and then, oh well, But I want to tell you this as somebody who has studied Christian history and also the history of the period of that time, that that prayer was answered. And the reason that we have faith today in Jesus Christ here in this world is because that prayer was answered. Because God answered Paul's prayer and the people of Colossae and that same prayer that Paul was making for every other Greek city that he went and preached the gospel in, that same prayer turned those disciples from pagan worshipers into fully devoted people to Jesus Christ who would sacrifice their lives in love for Christ, who served constantly and as they increased in their skills and their gifts, they just kept trying to give more and more and more and pretty soon the government was built on their principles. The things that they did became the foundation of the Roman Empire. These people built the world we enjoy. And they, these are the people who started hospitals. These are the people who started caring for orphans. These are the people who supernaturally stopped caring about themselves and started caring about the world. They are the people who set our culture because Paul prayed this prayer. And I'm saying we need to pray the prayer again. We need to pray the prayer again because God needs to do the work again so that the light that is the church of Jesus Christ burns so bright in this world so that every other person goes, that is different and I want some. So will you join me in faithfully praying this prayer for us? Oh, Father, we come to you today in faith and we come to you in the grace of Jesus Christ. 
And we believe that in approaching your throne of grace in the name of Jesus, we believe that we will be heard. And especially we know because we are praying according to your will. So we're praying, oh God, that you would show mercy and grace to us and revive our love for you. Lord, that you would fill our churches with an absolute passion and a desire for Jesus. That our lives would become more and more obsessed with you. That our hearts would be drawn to you. That our attention would be absorbed in you. That our time would be occupied by your, your glory and your grace and in your presence. Lord, fill us with a love for your Son. Lord, we pray that you would also move us into fruitfulness, Lord. That you would cause a spirit of fruitfulness to arise in our hearts. An absolute desire to be more obedient and more useful to you. As Lord, you make a difference in this world through us. And we would move away from all of the the things that we do that ruin that. And that you would give us grace to become people who are productive with the grace that you've given us. Lord, we pray that you would work that into our spirits and we would become so willing. And Lord, we pray that you would move in us to create a compassion for the people who have need, Lord, around us. That we would see and know that we have gifts and charity to give to others, Lord. And that we would have our hearts and our minds open to the needs of our community around us in the church, but also out there in the wider world, constantly caring for others. Lord, that it would become embarrassing the way that we we care for other people and the lengths that we go to take care of their needs. Lord, revive in us a compassion for others. And so, Lord, I pray this grace over our churches, Lord, that you would use by the power of your spirit, that you would come and bring a transformation in our hearts, that we would become inflamed again for you. And in all the ways that you bring health, Lord, take our diseased tree, Lord, and make us healthy. Lord, so that the fruit just flows, the love just flows, and the compassion just flows. Lord, work this in us, we pray. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can pray with confidence here at your throne, asking you for help in our time of need. But, Lord, we pray, revive us in you, Lord. Challenge us in you and draw us to you, Lord, for every answer to every need that's in our lives, we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. And all the people said, Amen. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.